I'm going to ask the guys when they're done with that to uh, give us uh, your answers to the question that I've posed for this morning. I've got a few texts, so we'll, we'll take a look at those as well. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them at this point while we're waiting to uh, hear your responses. Um, we're going to be in several different verses throughout the Bible today, so uh, you can go ahead and grab them out, and uh, I'll try to direct you. We're going to begin in the book of Acts, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, if you don't have your own Bible, there should be some Bibles in the pew backs in front of you, and if not, uh, the text should be on the screen. So uh, we are in part four of our sermon series, Doing Business with God, the, and today's title is The Purposes of Work. So I hope you see the connection with why I asked you this question, because what we're going to be talking about today is why we go to work. Are there some biblical reasons why we do what we do uh, every Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday or whatever day it is that you work? Why do we go to work? Are there biblically merited sound reasons why we go to work? Uh, I would like to suggest to you that there are at least four, there may be more, uh, good reasons, but I have found four pretty clear reasons why we go to work. What lies behind the work that we do? So uh, the guys are hopefully getting those almost ready. So let's pray, and uh, we'll be ready by then, and we'll dive right into this part four of our sermon series entitled The Purposes of Work. So let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you that we can engage your word over such subjects that are very significant to us. Father, we're so very grateful that you touch on the areas uh, that are so pertinent in our lives as we spend many hours at work, whether we work in an office or in our car or whether we are stay-at-home moms or whatever it is we do, whether we're students and we go to work at school, whatever it is that we do, we spend much time in this area of work. And so it's not a surprise to us that you speak to us in this area. And so, Father, I pray that you would be gracious. I pray that you would show us uh, these biblical good and godly reasons why we should pursue going to work tomorrow morning or or whenever we do, and that you would teach us to be good workers. Father, we thank you for what you have reminded us in our past sermons. We're very grateful that you have made us in your image and that as you are a worker, you created all things in six days. We recognize that we are made in your image and that you made us to be workers, to be like you, that it's a good and godly thing and that all work, regardless of what we do, has inherent value. We're so very grateful for that. Father, we recognize that even in our work, sin has caused it to be difficult and to be uh, uh, challenging at times, and yet you seek to redeem us, and you have done that in your Son, and you do that first by redeeming us as workers. You change our very hearts so that the way we work, the manner in which we work, the integrity in which we work changes because we are serving not our bosses or ourselves, but we're serving indeed our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this new perspective that we have. And so give us grace and help, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. All right, guys, we got those. Come on down, Dennis. Let's find out uh, why we as a church uh, go to work every day, and then we'll compare and contrast those and see how they fit. Thank you. Whoa. See how they fit to the biblical ideal of going to work. So we've got quite a few here, and uh, so we won't have time to to get through all of them. But let's take a look-see and find out some of the reasons why we go to work. I'll I'll read a few of the texts that I got. Uh, The first one says, to help with bills. I have a feeling this will be a common theme. Uh, The next one says to make some money and to have a sense of achievement. Okay. Uh, Next one says I go to work because I need to accomplish tasks daily to to feel fulfilled. It's also my privilege to work and to provide for my family. Uh, Someone else says via text message to make money, to have some quiet time, and for selfish reasons. Quiet time and work. That's a that's a good that's a good work. We need to we need to look into that. 
I go to school because I don't want to miss anything important and because I have to. Well, that's absolutely true because you have to because the state says we have to, right? Uh, what else? Let's see. Uh, to earn money and to pay off student loans. Okay. So there's a sense of we need to make money and pay off our debt. To make money to supply food and shelter for my family. This will be a common need, I think. To fulfill my calling to pursue first the righteousness of heaven, then all the material things that can be added to me. Very good answer. Because I enjoy it, and it earns me a living. For our family's health insurance, okay. So, go to work, pay for the bills. To make a difference in others' lives, and to be a, in a position of a role model, and an example with all of the children that I work with. Uh, next, I need money, mainly for college. <laughs> To be financially compensated, yes. Because it's something I can do to help the church. Very good. I want to know who wrote, did you write your name on the back of this? Because I want to know who wrote that. Very good. I'm impressed by that. Uh, To have some fun and to make a difference, and I enjoy what I do. Next, uh, I truly enjoy what I do and being around people. So you get a sense of fulfillment by enjoying the uh, people around you. To help the family with the finances, Uh, All work, whether in or around the house or outside of the home, uh, God made good. That's why I work. Very good. I need the money. (laughs) Plain and simple. Uh, As a creative outlet and a challenge. Very good. To provide for my family, but work is ordained by God to glorify God. I enjoy what I do to provide for myself. To provide, to support my family. To learn. Very good. To put food on the table and pay the bills. To, uh, I, need, I need the money, security, and a sense of worth. Work is an opportunity that God gives me to shine for him as well as provide for our families. He blesses us with the joy of laboring in this world. Okay, very good. Cash, prizes, and trips. Just kidding. <laughs> good, I was like, prizes? <laughs> I, need to, I need to consider a second career here. Uh, work is an opportunity to serve people and thus the Lord also, and be rewarded with pay to support those we love and are responsible for. Okay, to provide for the church, again, very good, and family, very good, and help me get through the day knowing I'm working for my God. Very good. I go to work, exclamation mark. God said we should work, or not eat. Okay, we're going to look at that scripture in a little bit. God said we should work or not eat. God is command, God's command, let's see, God is commanding work to provide for my family. Okay, very good. Your handwriting is about as good as mine. Although I can read my own handwriting. (laughs) Uh, To pay off student debt. Okay, mostly to obey God, to provide for my family. We're almost through these. I want to work to share my gifts with those that need them very good, to make their life more rewarding. Oh, very good. So there's a sense in which we go to work to help other people. Very good. Because I love working. Awesome. To do things for, uh, for Cal and Steve and for his glory and honor. Very good. I love my job and to help to pay for the bills. I feel that God has put me where I am for a reason, uh, mainly to be a witness for him. Okay, very good. We're going to talk about that in uh, a future sermon. And last but certainly not least, to provide for my family and to be a witness to those that I work with. And that is Grace Bible Church, why we work. Um, Excellent job. I'll have to say I'm very impressed with what you guys had to say and encouraged by it because what we've seen and more in some of your responses cover 
the four purposes that I've discovered in the Bible for going to work. So, let's jump right into them. If you have your Bibles open, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to start there, but I see four purposes, four reasons why we go to work, and uh, they'll sound familiar because you've heard them from yourself. Reason number one, starting in chapter uh, 18 of the book of Acts, and then jumping ahead to the gospel of Matthew chapter 6, we see the first reason, the first purpose why we go to work is to serve other people. The first reason we go to work is to serve other people, and we saw that uh, specifically in one of your answers, and that's why I was so impressed, because you saw your work as an avenue not just for making money for yourself, which is one of the reasons, getting ahead of myself a little bit, but we go to work, not primarily, but we go to work for one equal reason, just to simply serve others in the work that we do. So if you are opening your Bible to chapter uh, 18 of the book of Acts, I see a couple of biblical examples here. I see a couple prominent examples of men who went to work and in doing their work met either, a, either people's needs or their wants through the work that they did. And by doing so, they served those people. So they saw their work as an avenue for serving the needs of others through and in their work. And the first example is a man we all know pretty well, and that is the Apostle Paul. So if I were to ask you a question, what did Paul do at his job? What was Paul's job? What would you say? Louder, come on. Tent maker, serve others, tent maker. What else? What was Paul's job? Missionary, okay? Very good. You know, oftentimes I think, uh, I found myself guilty of this. When we think about what did Paul do, and, and rightly so, much of what he did, in particular in the book of Acts, involves preaching the gospel, uh, sharing with other Christians, encouraging other Christians, uh, defending the faith. These are all things that he did. But I think it's oftentimes forgotten that he, as he went about doing this calling this great passion in his life of making disciples and planting churches and preaching the gospels to the end of the earth, he actually had a different job. He had another job that he did along the way. And a couple of you mentioned it. He was what the Bible calls a tent maker. I will call it a leather worker because we don't exactly know what the word means. So let's look then in Acts chapter 18. And what I want us to see is this dual nature of what Paul did. He was a missionary. He was a a pastor in a sense. He was a preacher on the one hand, but he also worked with his hands. He supported himself. And the account is found in chapter 18 of, of, uh, of Acts. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of, of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So he runs uh, to the city of Corinth. He leaves Athens, he's going to Corinth, and he meets a couple. And this couple themselves have been on the run, in a sense. They were forced out of the, the city of Rome, which where they lived, because of persecution. And so they find themselves meeting in the city of Corinth. And let's see what happens. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, there's the word, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. So in verses 1 through 3, what I want us to see is that Paul here uh, has a a hands-on job. He is a tent maker. He has a secular vocation, so to speak. But then in verse 4, we find out what else he did. It was his other job. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So this is what Paul did. He, He was a bivocational pastor, so to speak. 
Let's not get any ideas from that text. But uh, he, he did both and. He supported himself as a missionary along with doing the work of a missionary. And so uh, this term, tent maker, we don't know exactly what it means. It's a pretty good translation. It, it refers to those who work primarily with leather. And people made a variety of things out of leather. They would make cloaks. They would make curtains. They would make tents, really anything that you wanted to protect from the elements, from the weather, was what these kind of workers did. And so he was a tent maker. And so what I want us to see quite simply is that Paul was meeting a legitimate need when he went to work. He was serving other people, not only by sharing the gospel with them, not only by planting churches, he was serving people in that sense, but he was also meeting people's real legitimate needs. If they needed a cloak, to shield them from the weather. Well, Paul did that. He made that with his hands. If they needed a tent, which oftentimes people would live in tents when they would go on journeys, whether it be business or travel, they would kind of take a pup tent with them. And he was meeting their legitimate needs through his work. And so what I want us to see from this first example is that we, too, work to serve other people's needs. And so I want us to begin to think about what it is that we do at work and what needs are being met through the work that we do. The second example, to me, is a, it's astounding. And it's the example of our Lord. It's the example of Jesus himself. If I were to ask you this question, what was Jesus' job, what would you say? He was a carpenter, that's right. He was a carpenter, and yet there's only two mentions in the entire gospel record of what Jesus did before he went into ministry. The one that we're going to look at is in chapter 6 of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, turn there or look on the screen. Uh, Mark 6.3 is one of those references. There is another reference in another gospel, and it says something to the effect of, who not this the carpenter's son? And so we know that his his earthly adopted father, Joseph, was also a carpenter. But this text in Mark chapter 3 specifically says that Jesus was a, a carpenter, a woodworker. So let's read it together, Mark 6, 3. They said to him, isn't this the carpenter? So he's back in his hometown and people are, un- they're, they're not getting what it is that he's doing. It's, it's as if his ministry of being the Messiah has just come out of nowhere and the people that he grew up around just can't understand this. They don't, they don't get this transformation or this unveiling of his ministry that's been going on. And so they say, isn't this the carpenter? I mean, isn't this the guy who lived in our town, who worked in that shop? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And the text says, and they took offense at him. And so ponder with me, just for a second, how significant this is. We know from the gospel record that Jesus uh, had about a three-year ministry, and that he started about age 30, and that it ended around 33 at his death. And so for three years, the gospels tell us that he had a ministry. It was his ministry. He, he, and we all know this. He healed people. He taught. He did miracles. He, he interacted with the religious leaders of the day. He shared the gospel with people. And, and much of, in fact, most of the gospel record is about Jesus doing that. But for many years, Jesus worked quietly with his tools, maybe in a tool shed or outside in his, in his shop, alongside his dad. We don't know what happened to his dad. Most likely, 
his earthly father, Joseph, died. But we know that for many, many years, we don't know exactly how long, but probably from, uh, from the teenage years on, Joseph, uh, Jesus, until age 30, had a regular job, a quote, a regular job. He was a blue-collar worker. If you were to look at his hands, I would guess they would be rubbed raw because he worked with wood, and he worked with hammers and nails and saws. In fact, the, the technical term in Greek is technon. Jesus is called a technon, which usually describes a worker uh, who works with any kind of hard material, most likely wood, maybe metal, or maybe stone. So maybe he worked with stone. Maybe he worked with metal. Maybe he worked with wood. We don't really know, uh, but he was... He, he worked every day. And let me ask you this. This is what is most astounding to me as I've pondered this. From what we know in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, we know that Jesus lived a perfect life. Amen? We know that he never sinned. Amen? We know that he lived a perfect life for us. That is, his obedience to God was an obedience that was for us so that he could offer that obedience to our account. Now, did that perfect life, did this obedient life, did this perfectly obedient man do that just in his three years of ministry? And the answer, church, is what? No. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to his father as he was building a table. And he was building a a chair. He worked to meet people's legitimate needs. There were probably people in his hometown who used the things that he made. He was a worker And he did that to serve other people. Jesus not only served people by his perfect obedience, by his teaching, by his healing, although he did, but he served people at his work. And so we see a couple examples. Why do we go to work? I think these two examples are sufficient to show that when we go to work, we do so for the sake of those that we work for. For the things that we do with our hands or our mind, however we serve at our work, we're doing it for the benefit of others. And so how do you serve at your work? What is it that you do? If you work on ATMs, well then you're serving those of us who use ATMs so that we can get cash when we need it. If you work on uh, grain bins and you're fixing them, well then you're serving those so that they can store their grain or corn or or whatever it is and you're serving the animals that will be eventually fed and you're serving us because we eat those animals. You're, You're serving people. If you're a teacher, then you're serving the students that you are working with, helping them to to grow and to learn. If you work as a stay at home mom and then you're serving these little children to help them to be godly men and women. And so the first reason, the first purpose that the Bible reveals that we go to work is simply to serve other people in our work. So how, how do you see work? Do you see it as service? You should. Regardless of what you do, we serve other people in our work. Well, why else do we go to work? What's, what's, what was the overwhelming reason in this stack of papers and all my text messages? Why did most of you, what was the common theme for why we went to work? Did you recall a common theme? What was it? To make money, to pay bills, to to meet the needs of our family, right? And and I expected that because I think most of us uh, go to work for those reasons. And so if if I were to ask you this, is that wrong? Is that... Isn't that selfish for you to go to work to, to meet your own needs and to meet the needs of your family? Is that, is that selfish of you? I would answer no. And I think the Bible answers 
with a resounding no, because it is a good and right and biblical thing to go to work, not just to serve others in the work, but to meet our needs and the needs of our immediate or extended family through that work. So if you have your Bibles with me, open uh, now to 1 Timothy. So go towards kind of the end of the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 5. What we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is uh, the Bible makes it very clear that it's a good thing for us to work to provide for the needs of our family. In the context, Paul is talking about widows, and he's talking about widows in the church who should and who should not receive the support of the church. In that culture, uh, if you were a widow, you were in particularly vulnerable. You oftentimes needed help unless you had family to help you. And that is exactly what Paul was saying. Essentially, he says, if you are a Christian and you have a, a mother or a father or even a grandmother or a grandfather, that it is your obligation to provide for their needs. And then he goes on to say that we should not only meet the needs of our extended family, but of our immediate family as well. Let's read this, 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 through 8, just to give some context. Paul says this, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice. How? By caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. We'll talk about that in a second. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions, and here is the thrust of what I want us to see so that no one will be open to blame anyone, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, for their own, for their families, and especially for their own household, your immediate family, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. D.A. Carson in his commentary says this, in no stronger terms could Paul have, ex have expressed the importance of social responsibility within Christian families. Essentially, what I want us to see here is that it is good, it is right, it is a godly thing for us to go to work on the days that we go to work for the reason of making money and meeting our legitimate needs. I think oftentimes, uh, in some Christian circles, we get the sense that, man, it's, it's just a less than motive. It's, it's not a pure motive if we're, if we're working for ourselves or, or to meet the needs of our family. Uh, oftentimes, in, in some Christian circles, work is just seen as a necessary evil. Yeah, we have to do that, but we'd really rather not. But Paul clearly says, this is a good and godly thing. But let me challenge you a little bit. I think most of us buy that. It, it comes across very clear in, in this response that we feel this need to and, and desire to support our family. It's good and godly. But what about the issue that Paul is addressing at hand? He's talking about widows. He's talking about extended family, about grandparents, about a grandmother or a grandfather. He's talking about a mom or a dad. I want to challenge us as the church to really take these verses seriously because if I'm reading them correctly, what I see is that we have a responsibility not just to our immediate family, but as God gives, a responsibility to provide for the best we can for, uh, for our mom and for our dad, for our uh, grandparents and the like. 
I know some of you do this very well, and I, I find it highly, highly commendable, those who spend a ton of money to help provide for their mom and dad. Maybe you can't take them into your home. You provide for them in a nursing home or some other kind of uh, living, uh, assisted living facility. This is good and godly and right. I've seen my mom and dad do that for their parents. Some of you uh, take in your mom and dad and allow them to live with you. This is good and godly, and right, and commendable. In fact, Paul says that in so we repay our parents and our grandparents, and he says this is pleasing to God. And so be encouraged. Maybe you're in that situation. Maybe you're in that scenario, and it's a financial burden to you. Maybe it's a relational burden to you. Don't give up. Continue to do the right thing. So we've seen a couple reasons. Why do we go to work? Well, we serve others in our work. We meet our needs. But there's a third reason, and it's found in Ecclesiastes. So turn with me in your Bibles back to the Old Testament into the wisdom part of your Bible, which is kind of right in the middle of your Bible, to the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we'll read verses 18 through 20, we see a third reason why we go to work, and that is not just to meet our needs, but to enjoy our wants. To enjoy our wants. And so I hope you find yourself there, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. When we look in a few sermon series, probably not next week, but the week after, we'll have a sermon, a sermon called The Pleasure of Work. And there we're going to discuss a little more fully this, this balancing act that we have as Christians. Because on the one hand, like today, we see very clearly from Ecclesiastes 5 and other places that it's not a bad thing to enjoy the money that we make and to enjoy meeting some of our wants. It's, it's not an inherently bad thing, and yet it's, it's tempered, as we're going to see in the weeks to come. We have to examine this kind of biblical tension because on the one hand, the Bible says we can do that. We can enjoy some of the things, the fruits of our labor, and yet the Bible also commands us not to be covetous, to be covetous. It, it, it commands us not to, uh, to be careful about pursuing lives of luxury or the warnings about greed. So there's this balance here. We can enjoy what we have, and yet we have to be careful. And we're going to explore that a little bit fuller in sermons to come, but one side of the coin we're going to see today, and it's in Ecclesiastes 5. So just to give a little bit of a context, in Ecclesiastes 5, if you start reading it, what you'll find is that Solomon is going to give us a series of warnings about the pitfalls of both work and money. So it's kind of the negative slant. He's going to warn us about not living for it, about some of the things that can happen to, it, to us in our work and with our money. But then in verses 18 through 20, he kind of says, well, what do we do with our work in light of what we have seen? After warning about some of the pitfalls, he kind of gives us a remedy. It's the flip side of the coin, and this is what he says in verse 18. He says, this is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given to them, for this is their lot. And so he begins in verse 18, and he essentially says this. He says, it's a good thing for us to work and to enjoy the labor of our work and to meet our needs. Notice the emphasis there, eat, drink, to find satisfaction, to meet the needs that we have. It's a good thing. We should find satisfaction in the work, our, in, in the work itself to meet our needs. But then he goes a step further, right? Notice what he says in verse 19. Moreover, when God gives somebody wealth, when God gives somebody wealth and possessions and what? 
The ability to what, church? Enjoy. And the ability to enjoy them, to, their, to accept their lot, and to be happy in their toil, this is a what? It's a gift. This is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. And the point that I want us to see is that he moves from our needs being, want, uh, being met to our, some of our wants being enjoyed. He takes that step and he says, listen, if, if, if God gives somebody wealth, if gives, uh, God gives somebody possessions, then he also gives them the ability to enjoy it. And it's a good gift from God. And so on the one hand, it's a good thing to enjoy some of our wants, some of the extras in life. If God so chooses to bless us so that we have beyond what we need, and let's be honest, I think most of us here uh, have our basic needs met, and we have above and beyond, don't we? I think most of us, maybe not all of us, and certainly not around the world, that's certainly not the case. But I think in America, in our little town, most of us have our needs met, and then we have extra. And so what do we do with that? Is it wrong to enjoy that extra? Is it, is it wrong to have some of our wants met? I think inherently, it's not wrong, and yet it's tempered with the other side that we'll examine in weeks to come. And so I want to ask you, uh, some of us, I think, are bent in certain ways. As I think about my marriage, my wife is here, as I think about my marriage and as I think about our bents as it comes to spending, uh, I am, and you've heard me say this before, I am a spender. I enjoy enjoying my wants, okay? Uh, that's just how I am. I like spending money. You know, money comes in, it should come out. That's kind of the philosophy that I have. I mean, not entirely, but that's my bent, is to spend and to enjoy. And my wife, on the other hand, is more of a saver, more of a, a keeper, you know? Uh, she's less inclined to spend. And so we, there's, I don't want to say attention, but we, we kind of balance each other off, I think, pretty well. Uh, but for some of us, uh, you may be more like my wife, a little less inclined, that maybe you're, you're bent, uh, you may enjoy, uh, you may struggle enjoying some of the fruits of your labor more than others. Now, some of us enjoy them too much, right? And so there's a balance here. But maybe that's you. Maybe uh, you struggle allowing for small, periodical splurges in spending to enjoy some of the things that you want. Maybe you feel guilty spending money, whatever amount it may be. Maybe you uh, feel like it's something that you should not do. You feel guilty for doing that. Uh, I think for those of us who struggle with that, I think this can be a helpful corrective, that it's not inherently wrong to do that. Uh, one of the m- memories that I have of, of a kid growing up, and my wife and I talk about this often uh, as it relates to how I relate to my kids, but uh, I think my dad was kind of like me. Uh, he was a spender. He enjoyed enjoying some of the labor of his work. Now, we didn't live a lavish lifestyle, I don't think. Uh, I think he was good with his money. He was generous. Uh, and faithful, but he, every now and then, I, I remember as, as a young child, every now and then I remember he would say, hey, do you want to go to the, to, the, to the store? And we grew up in a town much like Cisna Park. We had uh, one grocery store, and it was like a convenience store, and it had food, very much like Luke's. It was very much like this. We had one store, so when he said, do you want to go to the store? I knew what that meant, right? Uh, and so I said, sure. 
because I knew what that meant. I knew that he needed to get something, gas or bread or whatever, but I also knew that that meant that if he asked me to go to the store with him, that I was getting something. (laughs) And that meant that I most likely was getting a Coke or a soda or a soft drink, uh, something like that, because that's what he would do. It was kind of a special thing. And so he said, you want to go to the store? Yeah, (laughs) because I knew that I'd be getting something. And he enjoyed enjoying the fruits of his labor in a small way uh, like me. And so it's, it's a good thing for us to enjoy our once. In the next couple weeks, we'll talk about how to balance that, because there is a balance, and the Bible warns against things like uh, over, over luxurious living, and covetousness, and greed, and the desire of money. There's lots of things that temper this, but we'll save that for the coming weeks. So, uh, number one, we work to serve other people. We work to, to meet our legitimate needs. I think we can work to enjoy some of our wants, and then finally, The Bible says we work so that we can give away money to other people. This is our favorite, isn't it? We've been waiting for this. I know you've all been waiting on the edge of your seat. When is he going to talk about how I can give my money away? I know you've been thinking that. And so, hey, here it is. You ready? Let's talk about it. One of the reasons why we work is to give money away. It's not optional. It's, it's not something that we just can, can do. It's something we need to do. It's, it's inherent in why we work so that we can be generous people as Christians. I want to look at a couple verses. Uh, first, we're going to look at Galatians 6. So if you're turning your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6. Secondly, um, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. So they're right next to each other. We can find them. I think, to, to be uh, simple, we see the Bible commanding us to be generous to, uh, to a couple different sets of people or to two diff- two, in two kind of ways. First of all, we see the Bible saying that we're to work to give money to God's work, that is, to those who preach, teach, to churches that promote the gospel. And then the second area is to give money to those who have legitimate, uh, legitimate needs. So let's take a look at the first, Galatians chapter 6. Uh, in j- chapter 6 of Galatians, what we see Paul doing is, is kind of laying down this guideline, this rule, and he talks about the importance of giving money to institutions and people to which we, from whom we receive spiritual nourishment. Galatians ch- uh, 6, 6 says this, nevertheless, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. And so, uh, first of all, he's talking about those who share with you the word should then, in a sense, receive all good things or financial support from you. And I take that uh, to mean not only from individuals, but to institutions, to churches, to organizations that have what I would call faithful, uh, gospel-centered, Bible-teaching ministries. It is a part of the life of a Christian to then support the person or institutions by which we get fed. That is what I think Galatians 6, 6 is talking about. And so I want to ask you to do that. I want to ask you if you do that. Do you support people, your local church, hopefully this one? If you go home and read, this is your, this is your assignment. Go home and read I think the most comprehensive section on generosity in the Bible, it's 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. If you want to know what God thinks about generosity with our money, go read those two chapters. I'm just going to summarize the principles that we see for generous giving. Number one, uh, we see there that it's a response to God's free gift to us in the gospel. So we give generously to gospel preaching ministers and churches because God has been gracious to us. We give because we've been given to. We, our hearts have been so captured by this free 
riches of the gospel that God has given to us that we then respond with that. Number two, it's not based on how much you make. What we see from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is that these poor people in the city of Macedonia and the region of Macedonia, they were poor and yet they gave with liberality. So it doesn't matter how much you make. Number three, it's voluntary. Uh, That is, Paul wants it to be clear that he's not forcing them to do that. It's not out of guilt. Oh, I have to do this. That's not out of coercion. Pastor Trey told me I had to. It's because we want to, is what Paul says. Number four, it's the overflow of being committed to God and his work. What Paul essentially says is that if you love God, and if you love the gospel, and if you want his work to continue, then it makes sense that you support people and and organizations and churches who do that. Number five, it's a mark of maturing faith. So Paul says, hey, listen, Corinthians, you think you're mature? If you're really as mature as you think you are, which is what he says to this church that's full of pride, then he says, then you will be generous in your money to this collection that I'm making. And so if you, rightly so, think that you're mature in the faith and you're a mature Christian, then that results in generosity. Number six, Paul says it's done consistently, that is, periodically. And number seven, it's done joyfully which Dennis said so wonderfully this morning. It's done joyfully, right? Absolutely. So first of all, we work to give money to others, to give money to pastors, preachers, missionaries, and local churches uh, to support the gospel. And then secondly, the Bible says that we work not just to support the work of the gospel, but we work to give money to those who have legitimate needs. Uh, Turn with me to Ephesians. It's just one book over. Ephesians 4.28, we get this really fascinating command. Paul is talking, uh, he's giving kind of moral imperatives, and he's going to talk to a, a Christian, a person most likely who had become a Christian in this church, and before they were stealing, or maybe they're stealing now, even after they became a Christian, and he's going to tell them something about stop, about not stealing, but notice why. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Okay, so Stop. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Why? Don't look. Don't look at the text or the screen. Why do you think, why do you think? Most of us, we would say to a thief, listen, you need to stop thieving because, well, one, it's illegal, but two, you need to work, right? Instead of stealing to meet your needs, you need to work. That's what we would think. And so we're expecting Paul to say, stop stealing and start working. And he's going to say that. But we expect him to say, stop stealing so you can start working so you can meet your own needs, right? That's what we expect he's going to say. But he doesn't say that. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. And here's the purpose. That they may have something to share with those in need. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, I think it's implied. I think Paul wants us to, to work uh, to meet our own need, needs. We, we, we've seen that, right? If you, if you don't provide for your own needs, you're worse than an unbeliever, right? We, we've, we've seen that. And so we expect that. We expect him to say, listen, stop stealing and start working so you can meet your needs. But he goes the step further. I think it's implied. He goes the step further and he says, not only thief should you stop thieving so that you can provide for your own needs in, in a legitimate way, but listen, when you start working, it's expected that you start sharing. See that? When you start working as a Christian, it's expected that you start sharing with those in need. Now, he doesn't go into detail here. It's generous. The, I, I take it to mean those who have legitimate needs. And we have to be wise about this, church. There's no doubt. We have to be wise and discerning about who we give money to and about determining legitimate needs. But we can't, 
as a church and as Christians, which I think we do, we can't just shrivel out from underneath this and say, well, I'm not going to help anyone because I don't know if anyone's legitimate. I don't think we can do that. That's not the Christian attitude. So are you looking for people to help? Maybe people within the church that you know about. Maybe they have needs that you don't know about, or maybe they have needs you do know about, and you can help meet those. What about others around the world? I don't think this is just to Christians. Let me recommend to you a couple organizations that Shelley and I uh, periodically give to. Uh, number one is Samaritan's Purse. I don't know if you've heard of this organization, Samaritan's Purse. You've probably uh, heard of their president, Franklin Graham, who is the son of, of course, Billy Graham, and he leads this organization called Samaritan's Purse. They essentially are a relief organization, but they also bring the gospel with that. Uh, trustworthy, as far as I know. Uh, also, we have given to an organization called the Global Aid Network, better known as GAIN. They are an avenue of Campus Crusade for Christ, and they periodically send us stuff about people, Christians and non-Christians around the world, that have needs, legitimate needs, like they don't have water, and they're starving, those kind of things that I think is what Paul is talking about. So if you're interested and you want to know, how can I really meet legitimate needs uh, here and, and abroad, those are two really good places to do that. Uh, I want to end on this. I'm, I'm very encouraged. Uh, I've been here, how long have we been here, Shell? Six years? Uh, it'll be six years here in a few weeks. And I've seen an enormous amount of generosity from you. I can't make specific examples, and I wish I could. But what I've seen is really encouraging to me. I've seen people give large sums of money to other Christians in the body. I've seen them make uh, donations for special, uh, for special needs that, that people have. Uh, typically, we do well as a church. So I want to commend you for that, and I want to challenge you to continue to have your radar up, both in this church and in our community, and then around the world, to continue to, to be the Christians that, that Paul says we should do. And so we work also to give money to others, to give money to pastors and preachers and missionaries and this local church, as well as those who are in need. So why do we work? Grace Bible Church, why do we work? Well, we've heard from your own lips why you go to work, and I'm extremely pleased because I think the answers that you guys gave as to why you go to work are all found here in the text and uh, so let's continue to work well, and let's continue to meet these purposes as God gives us grace and hope. Let's pray together.